Hi guys, I'm Joe Durkheising and welcome back to Rumble in the Jungle. There's been a bit of a hiatus since our last episode, in part because I wanted to take a little bit of time and set a new direction for the podcast. So as you're going to see soon, we're going to start to do podcasts not just at my home studio, but also in different locations, uh, normally following some activities with uh, some of my guests. So for example, we might uh, train some grappling, some striking, some MMA, maybe go rock climbing or shooting or something. And then wherever we do these uh, activities, we'll probably also record a podcast. So the, the format's gonna change up a bit, uh, but you guys will see as we start to get into the new episodes of 2024. Today's guest is my friend and a talented tattoo artist named Corey James. Corey owns Lost Edge Tattoo here in Austin, Texas. Uh, he specializes in black and gray, hyperrealism, photorealism, and surrealism which is one of my favorite styles. Uh, he's traveled around the world studying not just tattooing, but also painting, sculpture, and other forms of art. Uh, he, he likes racing. Uh, he's done some, uh, some boxing. He's had some boxing fights, uh, trained some grappling. He's just an overall interesting dude. So I hope you guys enjoy the conversation today. So welcome to the show, my brother. How you doing? I'm doing great. Just uh, getting used to this weather right now. We got... Yeah, 21 degree action here. So for those of you who don't know, it's a, a Texas freeze, uh, which means essentially the, the weather is less than 30 degrees and everything in Texas grinds to a halt. Yeah, it's basically a polar vortex that shuts everybody down. People so. forget how to drive. Uh, businesses close. I have a friend. He's telling me he's like, I'm not going to leave the house for three days. And I'm like, why? He's like, because because it's freezing. I'm like, the roads are not covered with ice. It hasn't snowed. It's not like freezing rain. I'm like, you can drive completely fine, but people are afraid to drive. It's like wild to me. Yeah. I mean, being, I'm from Wisconsin, so, I mean, this is like a normal day for a Wisconsin person, you know? This is what I'm saying. I'm like, in parts of the country, people live in colder weather than this with actual ice and snow for like six months out of the year and life functions fine yeah you just get up and shovel the driveway scrape the ice off your car and get your ass to work <laughs> you know exactly here it freezes for like two days and like you know the power grid <laughs> shuts down everything just collapses but uh I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're uh staying warm doing well uh so, so last time we talked uh you had done some uh, filming for your YouTube channel. Yeah. And, and you had done uh, some, some stunts uh, in your uh, Corvette. Yeah, we took the Corvette and uh, took it over to the collective. It's a gym here in Austin. Uh, super cool guys let us tear up their parking lot pretty much just <laughs> left a set of tires on the on the pavement for them. So shout out to those guys for being cool and letting <laughs> us do that because <laughs> it was pretty wild. Yeah, I, I know you said uh, you basically just took your Corvette with like the tires just completely destroyed, just brought it to the dealership, and you're like, I don't know what you got to do. Here are the keys. Take care of it. Yeah. Have you gotten it back yet? Yeah. I no, I haven't gotten it back yet. <laughs> I just dropped it off. And it's been about a week. <laughs> yeah. He, he looked at the tires and looked at me, and I just gave him the keys and was was out of there. We had more filming to do that day, so it was it was a bit unsafe to drive to the next location, so... 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially now too, you don't be driving in like uh, the freezing Texas rain or freezing Texas weather with bald out tires. But nah, yeah, there was it, pretty much the metal was showing on the tires. Though did so. it, they say what uh, what they got to do? Uh, they're just gonna take them off and put them on. That's put it. New ones on. Yeah, it's been a week. They can't change the tires in like a day. There was a couple other things that okay. I had to do. Some little gremlins in those Corvettes. So I had them do it all at once. Yeah nice uh so i guess um for those listening uh cory as you mentioned in the intro he's a uh, a tattoo artist here a lost edge tattoo he's an artist and the owner of the studio here in austin texas uh and that's actually originally how we met yeah so just a little bit of background uh so i, I moved to austin about six months ago and uh i was looking to get a tattoo on my leg so i was trying to find a, a place that does uh, specializes in black and gray and does kind of uh, like hyper-realism, surrealist type work. And I, I looked at everywhere in Austin that I could find, and I came across your page. And I really liked your style. I looked at your Instagram and saw all your work. Uh, guys, I'd recommend checking that out if you're interested in tattoos. It's uh, Corey James Tattoo and then Lost Edge Tattoo on Instagram. So yeah, make, make sure you check that out. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought the work was great. So I, uh, I contacted you uh, with my concept and uh, fortunately you liked it. And then we, we linked up and, and started the project. So yeah, we get, you know, a ton of inquiries and uh, we basically just have to pick the best kind of ones that fit your style, your ideas. And like, um, fortunately we have the choice to kind of like pick, you know, who we want to work with and what kind of like subject matter they're into if it and 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 kind of divvy them up between people depending on their style so kind of keeps everybody happy you know yeah it's a nice thing about having a studio like that is like maybe you get some idea and you're like this sounds cool but this is not you know something that's in my wheelhouse it'd actually be better if you know this other guy yeah. worked on this project so you can kind of you know kind of move the ideas around depending on kind of who specializes in that. Yeah. And people think maybe they want this artist to do it, but then you take a look and you're like, oh, you know, you know, so-and-so would be much better at this than I would. And, yeah. you know, and usually we're right, you know, so people get what they <laughs> want and are super happy. Yeah. And then uh, how long have you, you been in this uh, location? Uh, I've been here since 2015. I here in Austin since then. Oh right? no, I moved to Austin in 2012. 2012. Okay, so it's been 12 years now. Yeah. So you're an official Austinite. You've been here for over a decade. Yeah, I've been here for over a decade. I guess I'm a Texan. Yeah. At, at some sort of a 100. percent Yeah. Right? I, I've been here now for about nine years, and I can say after about five years, you feel like a Texan. Yeah. You definitely you like metamorphose into like being from you start to pick up like the values the vernacular yeah like i'm originally from california i, I know here in texas that's like a, a taboo location to be from yeah but, but i feel like after my first five years I, I really feel like i'm a full texan now yeah it'd be hard to tell where you're from i would have guessed you know could have could have told me texas and i would have been yeah you know i lived in nevada lived in reno for two years before i came here so i think that kind of helped too because that's more of like a kind of rugged cowboy kind of lifestyle out there yeah the high desert for sure why don't you, you tell us a bit about what that was like uh what, what brought you out here originally and what was it like kind of transitioning from wisconsin to texas yeah it was a cool transition i kind of had the luxury of being able to have clients in both locations so i would kind of wherever the most people were i would go 
And then when I ran out of people in Wisconsin, I would come to, to Austin and work. And eventually I just had more clients here than I did back home. So it made Is, sense. Why Austin? Uh, I just came down here to visit with some friends. They were always going to like music festivals and I would come and, you know, in order to kind of finance my travels, I would work a couple days while I was here at a, at, at a, at a guest shop, you know, just in, and I'll take walk-ins or whatever I could do to kind of pay for my trip and yeah. then go party with everyone and, you know, enjoy <laughs> the city. So Dude, that's such an awesome lifestyle. as like an artist to be able to do that where you're like anywhere you want to go, you can kind of just go stop in, do a little bit of work and just fund your trip. Yeah. That's kind of what attracted me to it in the beginning. We just had a backpack, a skateboard, and, you know, we'd hop on trains and go to a new city at the time, you know, we just had our, portfolios printed on paper and you would walk into a tattoo shop show them your portfolio and they'd either say yeah you know you can work here or you know no we don't you know you're not good enough yet go to the next place you know that's and cool man. that's kind of where you find your you know your place how long did you do that for uh, a bunch of years actually we traveled all over the country doing that with your home base being in wisconsin well, the home base kind of just became wherever we were at the time, you know, it was never really a home base. It kind of gave that up. So, and, so you uh, lived just a, like a nomadic lifestyle for a period of time. Yeah, for a good long time there. How just, long was that? That was a good three, four five years of just traveling. And were you just do Airbnb or how would you do no, that? No, they didn't even have Airbnb. So just stay at hotels? Yeah, we'd stay with friends or we'd try to make enough to uh just get food and and a uh, hotel for the night whatever the cheapest place was you know 30 bucks or Dude, so every so day cool. was are we gonna have somewhere to sleep are we gonna have enough food to eat are we gonna you know how, how far into tattooing were you when you were doing this this is very early very early so just learning you know just being able to do like flash off the walls and kind of just yeah barely get by you know how, how old were you at that time Jeez, I was probably in my early 20s, like 20, okay. 21, 22. So, so this is kind of like the college years where it's like you're still very new to the world. Like you've seen some stuff, but there's still a lot of like life that you're starting to experience for the first time. Yeah. And you have the chance to go and travel around the country and do this, which gives you like I always felt like this growing up in California. Like my family, they didn't leave uh california we would take vacations and be to another part of our state sure we never leave and then the first time i really traveled around the country you know going to utah new york texas nevada uh you really start to see like oh people are actually different across the country yeah and so at this point in your life you're getting a sense of that of like every city has like its own feeling people there value different things totally they have different interests uh what was that like uh yeah it was a lot of learning you know just like you said different cities you know value different styles of art and you know the vibes are totally different depending on where you're going so you know just it's different everywhere you go you just kind of got to go everywhere and and see where you fit in what parts do you like what parts don't you like you know and you said we uh, who's the we in that yeah so i had a, a guy that a friend of mine who was a tattoo artist uh and i was his apprentice so wherever he went i was very with him all the time it was just kind of like the dynamic duo of tattooing you know so that's cool man yeah he was really good and so he would always you know 
be sought after. He would always get the job right away, but I wasn't quite up to that level yet. So they would kind of take me on as an apprentice under him. And I would just make sure that I was at the shop helping them when I could and doing. I'd imagine that probably had such a profound benefit to your artistic skills because, you know, I feel like this in martial arts, uh, if you're at a gym, even if it's a very, very good gym, you kind of learn from your head instructor and, you know, the other kind of more experienced people in the gym, but like your, your world of like exposure is still kind of small. And uh, just because of my lifestyle, because, you know, I, I moved for school and moved for work. I was able to live in different cities and train at different gyms. And you realize the more different places you go to and train at, you get like sometimes completely different perspectives and you learn skills that would have been very difficult to learn if you had just stayed in one location. And I imagine in the art world, it's the same thing where you're traveling this nomadic lifestyle. You probably got to see a lot of different artists with a lot of different styles and a lot of different specialties. Uh, what did you like what was your development like at that time and what are some of the things you kind of took from that yeah you know every place is really different so different places value different things like some places really valued like the fundamentals of tattooing you know very bold wanted to last forever very simple but following the designs and some places were really like intricate and wanted it to you know be a whole sleeve as one concept so depending on where you were you got to you know learn about that different kind of technique or style that was coming out of that place at the time i think very much like fighting and tattooing kind of have that same you know there's you, it's just one person yeah you, you're one person you know like you could train and see all the different styles all over the place but when that tattoo comes in and and you're with that client there's no one there to help you yeah right it's just you and the guy you gotta stand by your work and you gotta <laughs> and you gotta if it doesn't matter how you're feeling that day or what's going on you know you have to perform to the best of your ability regardless of of the situation so yeah you know and the stakes are high you know like in yeah. martial arts maybe it's your physical health and tattooing though it's it's you know that per it's gonna be on that person's body for the rest of their life yeah well they, if you fuck up on that. the wrong person it might affect your <laughs> physical health because you know you might get your ass kicked if you do something have stupid. you seen that happen i haven't seen it happen but i've i've been in situations where like you know a biker gang would bring their prospect in and you know the the leaders like kind of watching over the prospect get the tattoo who's that watching over the artist yeah yeah it, was, it is nerve-wracking the guy sitting back there brass knuckles just like yeah. waiting for the guy to slip up a lot of times yeah and I, you know a lot of times like places that we would get jobs at that were easy to get jobs at were places that had owners that weren't tattoo artists so they didn't really know and or care yeah if you were good enough or good at all basically they just wanted someone there to do the tattoos that came in for their business so yeah to make some money yeah they just wanted to make money and you know we wanted to learn tattooing and, and <coughs> do tattoos so yeah wherever anyone would take us we would go you know so that during that five-year period too so i imagine you probably grew a lot you probably started it uh, in more of an apprentice type role, but in five years, you can get really good at any craft. So I imagine by yeah. the end of that, your kind of relationship dynamic and your kind of position in the tattoo world kind of changed. What, what was that kind of transformation like? Yeah, I think when I kind of did the walk-ins and, and really just like, 
you know, got the spiels down of like how to kind of sell your own work at the time and your personality and your interests kind of play into that. Um, so you kind of develop your own personality as you're kind of learning what you like, you know, so. I think that's a big part of, of the tattoo world that at least when you first when you get a tattoo, you don't always appreciate. You maybe just look at the art itself and you just think, okay, like I, I like this, I like this style. Uh, maybe I think this fits the concept that I want. But for me, it became apparent after my first tattoos, it was like on my chest and shoulder and it was uh, two like eight hour sessions. And you start to realize like I was spending an entire day with this person yeah. and I have to come back and spend another day with this person. Uh, being able to find someone that you actually like vibe with and you can enjoy spending that amount of time with somebody is like important. Yeah, totally. I mean, in our situation was very similar, you know, it was less about the tattoo. I mean, yeah, the tattoo was right up my alley. You know, I love that realism that, you know, Coliseum kind of battle vibe and in the style you wanted it on a big part of your body. But at the same time, you know, you also sent pictures of the place that you wanted to get the tattoo. And the picture was you kneeing somebody in the face in the <laughs> octagon. And I'm like, oh, this guy, we're going to have a lot in common if this is the case, because I love the UFC. You know, I watch fighting. I've had some experience with boxing and jujitsu a little bit here and there wrestling with you know i have three younger brothers so we're always, we were wrestling all the time you know i'm like oh i, I mean I'm, I'm i'm more than happy to like pick this guy's brain i want to know what he's doing in the octagon and you know his his story so yeah i mean that really plays into like who i i want to work with you know yeah i remember thinking that too where i was like i was looking at photos of my leg and i was like i guess i could just take a picture of like my because it's like my whole kind of thigh but i'm like i have this photo from like the fight where like my thigh is showing i'm like okay this one is good it shows the physical location but also gives him a bit of a sense about like my personality and yeah. like what i'm interested in so i'm like this one kind of like you know it has multiple purposes uh, I'm like, cool. Well, if I don't do a good job, this guy's going to kick my ass. Uh, I better, uh, you well, know, I like a challenge. Well, <laughs> oh, I, I remember coming in here and seeing uh, like your, your boxing belt. And I was like, yeah, like did one of his clients give this to him or is it his? And then I read it and it says like tattooed gloves champion. So I was like, okay, maybe this guy has some boxing. That's pretty cool. We'll have some stuff to like vibe over. Yeah. Yeah. They have a, I think they do it every year they have a boxing um charity boxing event at the austin uh tattoo convention so tattoo artists essentially fight each other for charity this is a fucking amazing idea by the way yeah like i, I love this kind of stuff like some people like they uh poo poo on like uh like celebrities getting into like boxing matches but in my personal opinion and this to a lesser extent applies to like you know people in any walk of life I think you learn so much training for a fight, uh, just mentally getting yourself like ramped up and like yeah. in the headspace of like, okay, I'm going to be in a ring. I'm going to have to fight this person. Yeah. And if I lose, it's going to be like humiliating. Yeah. I have people who are going to be asking me about it. I'm going to have to like stand by the results, whatever they are. Yeah. And, and there's a certain amount of, I think, uh, mental fortitude you have to have to kind of go through that process. And you, you learn, a, I think, in my opinion, you learn a lot about yourself. So I, I think anyone in any walk of life who has to go through like any kind of a fight, like I, I have a lot of respect for that. I think it's really, uh, it can be really beneficial in your personal development. Oh man, at the time it was one of the best things I ever did for myself. I mean, you know, 
did he box growing up or anything like that I, not really boxing we did like i said i wrestled we were always in the streets you know fighting if it came to that you know but you've been around it but maybe yeah. not in like an actual gym type scenario yeah this is my first time actually training so i you know had a really awesome boxing coach that i had and then we go to richard lord's every day you know um and uh having that date on the calendar yes. that is the only thing that's going to get you in that gym man like yes. if you don't have that date then you really don't have like a specific goal you kind of start to wander all over so i think you know and i took that and kind of brought it into my personal life where i would you know have something on the calendar to work for right if if i was doing a painting workshop with a really high level teacher i'd set the date and then i knew that from now until that time you know it's like all right i'm gonna be training for this whether it's fighting or or drawing or painting right like yeah it keeps you focused did I, you experience that too yeah i mean i can relate to that like to the 10th degree like uh, i think it's one of the things that that i enjoy the most about this and i, and I hear a lot of you know ex-fighters and jiu-jitsu people talk about this where like you you put the date on the calendar and you're like no matter what i'm going to be held accountable on this date so i need to be prepared and so your whole life gets hyper focused and as it gets closer you get even more and more focused because you have less time to make mistakes you know yeah if you have an event that's 12 weeks out you know there's a little bit of wiggle room there your diet doesn't have to be you know tuned up if you miss a workout not the end of the you know, not the end of the world, but if you're one week out, there is no time to, to play around. There's right. no time to, to mess up. You have to be very dialed in. And I, I think uh, just kind of the hyper focus you get when you have an important date on the calendar, uh, I think it's, it's, it's really, to me, it makes life feel like so exciting. And then you have the event itself. And then after it, you kind of can look back at all the hard work you put in and there's a sense of like satisfaction. Yeah. I think that's actually why some fighters have a tough time stepping away. It's not just the attention. I think it's like their life has a direction. Yeah. How do you handle the aftermath of that? Because, uh, you know, I experienced a huge crash after that. What was that like? Well, first of all, like, let's, let's, let's get to that. But what was it like for you uh, for, the, for the first time getting into like a, a training camp? And, and going through the whole process, both physically and mentally. And then also, you know, you still had to work. You're still doing yeah. tattoos every day. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like you're boxing with your hands, you're tattooing with your hands. Right. If you start hurting your hands, I mean, that's going to affect your actual money making career. So what was that kind of whole process like leading up to the fight? It was cool. And in, in, in the beginning, right, you kind of you think you know how to throw a punch. You think you have, you know, the skills, you're tough, you know, all this and that on the outside. But when you really get in there, it kind of gives you a, a baseline of where you're at and you can kind of build off of that. And, and when you don't know a lot, you know, the learning curve, you learn a lot really fast. So you get really excited and you get good fast yes it's, it's it feels magical almost, yeah right? you see just a ton of improvement in your physical ability you know you're getting praised for every time you come in if you make improvements you know they say wow you, you know you're really getting good at this thing let's work on this now you know yes I mean? and so you kind of learn about yourself and you know maybe you're left the way that you move a certain way you need to improve on and um yeah so 
I think that was probably the most like fun in the beginning because you just learn so much so fast. You know, I, I tell this to like every white and blue belt. I'm like, savor these moments because like people are so focused on getting to like the end result. Like they're hyper focused on it. And you need to have you need to have a focus on where you're going. You yeah. need a direction, right? But like sometimes you don't always stop and enjoy like the process in the early stages. I think being the, being a beginner in anything is the most exciting time of doing that thing. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I tried jujitsu after and, you know, they say like the, the biggest difference in belts is from z no belt to white yes. belt. Yeah, You know, there that's a, a much broader difference in knowledge than it is from like a blue belt to a black belt. Yeah. It's like knowing nothing to just knowing a little bit in that kind of uh, world is a lot more like it pays off yeah dividends you know because if you're yeah, if you're like a day one white belt you go from getting your ass kicked by everyone who's trained for at least a month yeah just because you you know nothing you can be super strong but if you know nothing even the weakest person who's been training for a month or two will probably beat you and then there'll be that new guy that yes. is coming you've been there for a month yes and they're coming in new and then you're teaching them and you're like whoa like you start to see like yeah. oh i'm actually learning a real skill here totally uh but but yeah i remember kind of having that uh that experience where i was like okay like uh i know nothing every single person can just crush me it was like it was humbling and then you, you do it and you're maybe six months in and then now the new guy shows up and you start bringing your hands like finally i'm getting my ass kicked by most people but this new guy, I know I got this yeah, new guy. And, and I think any venture you do, once you become more of an expert, like it starts to lose its mystery a bit. So yeah. to everyone out there, I'd say, try to savor, you know, the, the parts of anything you do where you're a true beginner. Yeah, I think the magic is in the mystery, right? For like, sure. I, I, you know, you have to get rid of the, mat, the mystery in order to kind of get to a certain level. And, you know, I kind of want to know about at what point did you decide, you know, that this is the, the path for me, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to exit all of my other ambitions, you know, it, it sounds like you went to college and then what, what did you do like after graduate school kind of? Yeah. So I, I guess for me, um, I have a, my, I guess my story is, uh, I was always a fan of fighting since I was a kid. So. You know, I love like Bruce Lee movies, Jet Li movies, like any kind of martial arts movies, like the Three Ninjas when I was a kid. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's yeah, one. dude. <laughs> yeah, they're throwing smoke balls and disappearing. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's like three brothers. We we would like reenact that yes. shit, dude. Totally. Me and my little brother would do that. I'd get like you know they're the, the little fireworks that are smoke balls. Yeah. I remember like playing around in my garage, like throwing a smoke ball and then trying to disappear. <laughs> totally. I'd talk to my brother and I'm like, hey, did you see me move or did I look like I disappeared? <laughs> <laughs> totally so I, I think i was always just like obsessed with like the kind of fantasy and then you know stuff like dragon ball z and all those kind of shows so it was just something i think was just natural like a, a fascination with it but um i didn't i didn't grow up anywhere where that was like the thing to do it seems like i maybe had a similar background to you where like i grew up a skateboarder yeah so i was into like punk rock music and skateboarding totally and i, I would be into fighting but i just didn't know anywhere around me that had it so yeah it was you know it's kind of a different era they like, were just telling us not to fight yes don't fight no matter what like don't fight you know and like 
that was kind of the only thing we were told about fighting. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what my parents told me. They would just be mad if I got in a fight. Yeah, uh, I, there's, there wasn't as many safe spaces to, to practice that, you know? Yeah. I remember that there's, there's a handful, but like it was mostly related to sports. Like I remember I did soccer for like two years. Yeah. And there's one kid on my team, like I think I slid tackled him and he thought I like, I don't know, he just got upset because his dad was the coach and he tried to like tackle me. I remember I didn't know what I was doing. I just like sprawled. And then he was like, I think I just headlocked him. And then just like, they broke us up. So it wasn't even like real fights. It was just like little kid, like squirmishes. Totally. Um, but, but yeah, so I was always had a fascination. And then when I went to, uh, to college, uh, we had like a school newspaper and I would read it in between classes. And they had an article about Chuck Liddell. Do you okay. remember Chuck oh, Liddell? Oh yeah. The Iceman. The Iceman, yeah. Yeah. So he uh, actually went to college the same college I went to. He lived in San Luis Obispo where I was going to school and uh, he had a gym. I, I looked it up on Google and it was like less than a mile from where I lived. So I was like, oh man, this is so cool. We can do that here. Totally. I didn't even know this is like a possibility. So I just showed up to the gym and I was like one of these like delusional kids who shows up. I think I was like maybe 20 years old. And I was like, yeah, dude, I want to fight. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think the guy I was talking to was a professional fighter. He was, he was really, really good. Uh, and, and there was a handful of good professional fighters there, like uh, Glover Teixeira oh, was shit. training there at the time. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Liddell like owned the gym. And then there was a handful of other pro and amateur fighters. And they just looked at me and they were like, okay, kid, sounds good, come to class. Totally. And so for a handful of months, they had me just like hit the bag. I remember just like, I was like doing bench press and stuff. I was like, dude, I can hit so fucking hard. <laughs> if I hit someone, they're going down. <laughs> yeah. I remember just like wailing on the bag. And then after about like a handful of months, they're like, okay, you've been here long enough. When it come to sparring, you can come to sparring. And I was like, hell yeah, dude, I'm going <laughs> to show them what's up. I remember getting sparring and it was uh, me and this uh, guy, Scott Lighty. He was a, a K1 kickboxer at heavyweight. Then he transitioned to MMA, fought at 205. And at this time I was like 195 pounds. And I was just like a scrawny kid who used to be like a swimmer, right? Sk skateboard or swimmer. I was not like, I was not built for combat. And I remember like the way that they introduced people to sparring was to see how many times they could drop you with body shots. Oh shit. So I remember it was just like going with one guy and they're just like kick to the liver, hook to the liver. And they're like, they're not trying to knock you out, but they're trying to like hit you at hard body shots and see if you break. Yeah. I remember just being dropped like three or four times per round. Like I survived, they give me a round off and then the next round comes up. They're like, hey, you want to go with this other guy? I'm like, okay, I got this. <laughs> and then same thing, dude, just being like dropped to the body. And I remember like that day I started to like have the first honest assessment of like where my skills were at. Yeah. And going like, okay, I had this like delusional idea that I could just show up and just hit people and have it be like Bruce Lee where I'm just like, Boom, they're just like iced. And you start to realize they're like, oh, these guys, I can hit them as hard as I can. And they're like barely phased. They're they're good at blocking, they're good at not being hit. And oh, they can also hit me. So I remember that whole experience was like quite transformative, the first probably two years of, of doing it. Sure. So that was kind of like a striking battle. So that did that push you in one direction or the other to kind of think like, hey, maybe I'm better at grappling or I want to go this route or I want to learn to defend or I, I did the striking for about a year because I was always just I thought it was so cool to be able to like knock someone out like Bruce Lee style. Totally. And then uh, and then I saw before a striking class, they'd have like a, a grappling class. And after about a year, I was like, okay, I should probably learn how to do this. Cause what if someone takes me down, dude? Yeah. I need to be able to get back up. Right. <laughs> so that, that was my mindset. And then uh, some of the guys who were 
uh, kicking my ass and striking, they were also new to grappling. Gotcha. Like they were kickboxers who were transitioning to MMA. Right. And then I was a, a nothing transitioning to, I guess, grappling. So uh, we were kind of at similar levels. And then I, I picked up jiu-jitsu, I think faster than they did. And some of the guys who had absolutely kicked my ass in striking, uh, I, w I was starting to like submit them like maybe once or twice per round in grappling. Okay. So at that point, like a, like I started to feel like, okay, I went from having very little success with these people uh, to like, to being able to like beat them. So I'm like, this is like my edge. Like this is, this is like my niche where like I can beat some of these guys in here who are better than me at striking. Sure. So I think having success in that early on, not because I was necessarily more talented at it, but because I had like an equal start to like my peers, I think that kind of pushed me more on the grappling like domain. And then I was like, okay, let me try to get good at this. Yeah. And that's kind of where like I made my first pivot. And I'd say for my first um, like five to seven years of, of uh, martial arts training starting in college, I, I would transition back and forth. Like I do six months of striking only and then like I just go to Muay Thai gym, just do striking. And then I would just kind of get bored. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go back to grappling. I do grappling for like six months or a year. And then I'd go back to doing uh, like boxing or something. So I kind of went back and forth for, for a while. So it wasn't kind of like, it uh, wasn't all in right away. So what was the, what was the kind of the catalyst to like what did you do outside of that to like kind of support your journey because with me it was like we our journey was we go to the tattoo shop make the tattoo and get some money yes right you <laughs> go to a, uh, a boxing gym kick someone's ass there's no prize no one's paying you. yeah <laughs> so you know what is that like in the in that world like how do you you know how do you support that beginning as you know a jujitsu practitioner or, or trying to go to the next level yes so short answer i was incredibly broke for a number of years okay so so you know at first i was in college so it's like you know right. uh, i'm working in college I, I worked as like a busser and then i i started doing research in a, a geophysics lab on campus so i was getting like paid doing like you know little jobs here and there and then i would do some like uh some kind of like manual labor type stuff so I was doing that while going to college and then I had student loans to pay for the school. Uh, and then grappling was just, or fighting was just something I was doing while I was going to school. You know, you got to do some kind of exercise. Yeah, you yeah. always find an hour or two per day to go do something. So it was kind of at that level, just recreationally. And then uh, when I graduated college, uh, I remember thinking like, okay, I'm either going to try to become a professional fighter because I think this is cool or I'm going to go to grad school. And I was like, well, let me see if I get into grad school. So I, I applied, I got into a school. And during that year where I was applying after college, uh, I, was, I was fighting a lot. That's where I had my, my first uh, amateur kickboxing and boxing fights. And then I did my first couple of jiu-jitsu tournaments. So like, and, and I did well, like I, I won all the events I did. So I was like, okay, like I'm not, you know, the best in the world, but like I have some promise. Uh, but then I got into to school and then... Uh, when I got into grad school, they paid me like a small amount of money as like a, uh, I was at first like a teaching assistant. Mm. And then my second year as a research assistant. So I got paid like just enough to like pay for like my shitty apartment and like my car and like cell phone and stuff. So it was not a lot, but it was enough to like survive being a student. And then again, jujitsu was like my extra money just went to like martial arts. 
And then the first time I actually started making real money is when I graduated grad school and then moved to Houston and got like an actual job. Okay. And at that point I was like, well, a professional career. So I'm just going to quit doing all this and just go all into my career. I did that for about six months. And then, you know, it's, it's like anything that you love doing in life, right? Like you love like racing cars and it's like, okay, you could try to quit. But yeah. at some point it's going to come back to you and you're going to like see someone racing. You're yeah. going to see a cool car. You're going to like, something is going to like catch your attention and you're going to like, that passion will kind of be like re like reignited and you're going to be like, okay, I got to find some way in my life to like carve out a place for this thing. So that, that's when I got back into it and I got into grappling mostly because I was like, you know, I don't want to show up to my job with like black eyes and stuff. Totally. So, you know, grappling, maybe I won't have that. So this is a kind of a safe avenue. And so I got back into it and then just started competing uh, while, you know, doing my job and everything. And uh, that's honestly how it was, how it's been until the past like three months. Okay. So it's only three months ago where I've, I've taken a leave of absence from my job. I saved up some money uh got myself in a position where i could take some time off to like pursue this more full-time but before that like I, I won the world championships as a brown belt training like four days a week yeah uh, in jiu-jitsu and then just like working out at, like my work gym and and then just uh being like a good athlete yeah i guess uh like and i was disciplined but like my lifestyle was like i'd wake up at 5 a.m i'd get to my work at like 5 30. i'd work out at my work from like 5 30 to like 7 30 and then i would shower and then i'd be like working by like 8 8 15. yeah and i'd work till like 5 p.m and then i'd get off my job come home and lay down for like an hour and i'd go train from like 7 to like 8 39. yeah that seems to be like a, a good typical schedule for like a up-and-coming martial artists it's like they're doing this stuff in the morning before work then they work and they're trying to stay on their diet and then after work they're training and it's like they're taking a nap when they can and then training again and it's, it's one of those things man where like I, I look back at like the hours i used to put in every day and i was like non-stop working from basically like five in the morning when i woke up to probably like nine o'clock at night yeah and they were just like long days and it was like every single day yeah uh, and then the weekends, when you get a little bit of free time, that's when you can actually train harder because you have the whole day. So I think a lot of it was just not doing what other people do, like not going out really to, I mean, you, every once in a while, you you know, you go to a nice dinner, or you go to like a bar or something. But on most weekends, I wasn't going out. I was just like going to bed early so I could wake up and train. Yeah. And like I was, I was spending like my time and my money focused on training, not on doing other things. Uh, so you know, I think there's a lot of people out there too, who like are working a normal job and they think like, you know, I'm pretty good at this. I, I want to pursue this. And what I'd say is you can still pursue it if you make the sacrifices in your life to like set yourself up for doing that. And then if you see yourself get to a certain level where you have like promise, that's a time where maybe you can save up some money and, and step away and try to pursue it full time. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of had that same experience where it was like, you really got to cut out all the bullshit. You yeah. know what I mean? There's there's a lot of distractions out there, especially in the tattoo world. You know, you go out, it's like- I can only you, imagine. You just the have to answer a lot of questions. You know, you go, oh, you're gonna get you another drink. Let's talk, let's, you know. It's very much, it seems like a rock style, like lifestyle, right? Yeah, it definitely can be. Oh, yeah. for sure. You can definitely go down that road for sure. Did you ever like, was that ever like a thing that you experienced 
So, you know, I imagine you're spending five years kind of on the road, nomadic. You're meeting all these new people. You're having all these new experiences. Uh, like, I, I assume there kind of had to be some temptation during parts of that oh, journey. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, when, when you're younger, like, you know, you can go out and party and still not have those death hangovers. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, like, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's incredible the amount of shit that you can do when you're, you know, in your 20s compared to, like, 30s where the hangover starts to kick in and you're like okay now uh, you got to make a choice it's right not fair man. yeah and that's that that was a big choice for me was to just really quit all that stuff i mean i didn't drink or do anything for years you know it was from one o'clock till nine o'clock was my tattooing time so from nine o'clock until one o'clock at night i was usually studying painting drawing and then from one o'clock until nine o'clock in the morning, I was sleeping. I'd get up at nine, do everything I needed to do before work. At the time I was, you know, doing it by myself. So I had to clean the studio, get my appointment set up, make sure I had the drawings ready. And, and there was just no other time for any of that other stuff. What, what gave you that drive? Cause like, you, know, you see this a lot where like some people, they they kind of lack the discipline to force themselves to do that they can maybe do it for like a week yeah but to make yourself do that day in day out wh where do you think it came from i think it's just it's easy when you don't have a choice yeah you know what i mean just m make it so that no you have to do this yes like if you don't do this all of the work and all the dreams and everything that you put into this and all the shit that you've told people that you're going to be <laughs> successful that didn't believe in you and all this shit's go all that bad stuff is is going to come true if you know you don't make that choice that that's so true man i think that's actually why it's a good thing sometimes to tell people like put it out into the universe what you really want to do yeah because once you put that like pressure on yourself like it gives you the extra motivation to be like now i need to execute i can't tell people i'm going to do x and then go do y instead yeah and as you do that the more you do it the more people are gonna trust you and you're gonna get more opportunities because and then you're gonna be like wow i got another opportunity because i i didn't go out and party i stuck to my shit even though it was super hard but it paid off because i was able to perform at this time that really counted you know what was this uh previous to you owning lost edge yeah this was so I, I worked at a lot of different shops and kind of built up my clientele and then had an opportunity to you know and this was something that really wasn't available in many places where you could live and work in the same place you know they had these where we're at now where they have the storefront doors and then it's like you know they have living spaces in there so kind of just i would live and work in the same place that way you know every day i woke up I got ready and there was somebody knocking on the door ready to get a tattoo. So, I mean, really didn't have a choice. To be honest, like it's kind of a dream. And uh, right now, if you guys are watching this on YouTube or uh, Spotify, we're going to stitch in some videos. They're going to show what uh, the Lost Edge studio looks like here. And it's really cool. Like this is one thing I really, really admire about your studio is that some tattoo studios, you go into them and they're like very bare bones. And it's kind of strange to have like, a place where people do art that's not very like uh, artistically inspiring. But one of the things I love about what you you did here is it's a it's a it's a cool building. It's basically like a, an area where there's like an apartment complex, but on the first floor there's like uh, studios where people can run different businesses out of them. And you've taken uh, one of these and you've turned it into like the most badass tattoo studio I've been in. Like where you walk in 
And on the walls, there's just tons of art that's either art that you've done, your great grandpa's done, mm. uh, friends or mentors of yours have done, or people who inspire you. Uh, and then all the art is, uh, you can tell it definitely is, uh, it's stuff that like you've been inspired by. It's all kind of like represents you in one way or another. And then they have this like big TV where if you're gonna get a tattoo, he'll he'll show you like the concept or whatever before you get it done. And then under it, there's like all these cool little trinkets that people have given you over the years. Yeah. There's like a badass like skull with like a a crown of thorns. There's a like a like a bat again like a, a bat that was once alive. Yeah, has a like, little like. <laughs> taxidermy vampire bad yeah you know. super dope he's got a flamethrower uh that's our tattoo removal device exactly yeah you're not <laughs> happy with the product fine <laughs> we'll, we got you we'll, yeah. we'll remove it just step out front because it's a bit of a fire hazard but we'll take care of it yeah yeah uh, free tattoo removal too yeah and then you walk into like the the studio itself where you get like the the tattoos done and it's one thing that i like about being in here is there's a bunch of art so as you're getting the tattoo done your eyes can kind of like wander and you can kind of like look around and, and see different like pieces of art and it's uh it's, it's, a, it's a real cool environment that you've got here yeah so. it's it's nice to have all this stuff around because people have questions you know like all the frames were custom made for the artwork so you can just you, you could even just talk about the frame much less about you know the provenance of the piece and the you know the certificates of authenticity or you know whether it was made for sale or if i collected it from somebody or if it was a gift um yeah and then you got your sculptures over here too some sculptures yeah I took some classes in italy sculpting and does actually you know another cool thing is uh, the concept of the tattoo that i got was to have a uh like a a roman soldier fighting a, a lion and then to have like the coliseum in the background and one of the cool things about this is uh Corey actually spent uh multiple uh years going uh to and from rome and taking art classes there and he's actually been to the coliseum numerous yeah. times he's he's seen all these things that i want to get on my body and he's very like in touch with uh you know the history and the, and the the art and culture there so that was that was something that we actually found out while you're while we were like doing the first uh session and i was like this is like meant to be this guy is like yeah. built to do this particular like piece of art yeah i mean we i was tattooing a lot of sculptures and stuff you know and um i wanted to go there i wanted to you know take the picture and, and bring that back and actually be the one that created from the very concept of it. But you start to find out that like, well, this statue is, you know, 30 feet up in a church and you yeah. don't know about the lighting or, and, you know, maybe it's outside and it's, a, it's not a sunny day. So you're not going to get those pictures. And, but just to see that stuff uh, in person, you know, over multiple times in, in different times of the day and, seeing the artwork where it was meant to be seen right like that there's really in rome is i think one of the only places besides for malta which i got to go to a few times but where you actually see the artwork in the original place it was designed to be seen like in the room um like if you go to a museum in the united states right like you're gonna see uh Picasso, you're going to see uh, Van Gogh, you're going to see, you know, all these artists, but those paintings travel around, 
and they are seen in different rooms where they maybe weren't made or weren't meant to be seen. So I think that was what really like you, you see it in its totality, you know, yeah. the way it was meant to be seen. It's like when you turn the corner of a room in a museum like the Borghese and you come in and you see like the Bernini statue, like it's all planned out. So when you walk around that yeah. corner, you see this thing and it's glory at the most thing. And then as you travel around that, you know, piece of art, you kind of are taking it in the way it was meant to be taken in. And it's very powerful. I mean, you could go there a million times and, and have that same experience over and over. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So what, what time period in your career was it that you started to make those trips to, to Europe? Uh, it was right right around the time I had the freedom from having my own studio. It was just me. So I could, you know, work my ass off, save up some money, and then uh, just lock the door, you know. And, and I was able to go off and, and, and study painting and really get the fundamentals of art and, and, and instill that into the tattooing and take pictures and and um just be around a different kind of art you know what 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 are other artists doing you know I, I feel like it's like they make money with their paintings but at the same time you know they make money teaching and i think that's probably something that maybe you've experienced with jujitsu is like you get so good that you know other people want to learn from you yeah i think there's a lot of people who do that as well where once you get to like a certain level People, some people just literally travel around and they spend years maybe doing something similar where they go, they do seminars yeah. uh, or they go and compete or, you know, they're good enough or they can kind of go to uh, any city and find a school to like teach at yeah. and then go live like a, a similar lifestyle. It seems like two paths, right? It's like you get to a certain level, you either go full pro and you just stick to the, to the one thing that you're doing or, you know, you kind of branch off and go the route of like okay i could probably teach for a much longer time than i could actually <laughs> fight you know so maybe yeah. this road might be better for me did you feel like it's like that in in uh tattooing or art like because because you know you see a lot of artists where like they'll have most of their their works that they're known for are produced in a somewhat short period of time sure and then maybe the, they can live a long life and they don't produce anything that's nearly as notable. And then some seem to be more prolific kind of throughout their life to kind of reinvent themselves into something different. But do you, do you feel like art has that same kind of uh, like life where like your maybe competitive like peak is like it's a certain period of time? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I've seen it with, you know, more so in painting painters, you know, it's like they kind of come out with like a series and then they're, they're known for that. And then, you know, maybe because if you're doing a painting, you really don't know if anybody's going to buy it. Right. Like yeah. With a tattoo, for sure, you're getting paid <laughs> and for sure it's leaving your studio. For sure. You know, yeah. a, a painting, not so much. So, you know, but if you go teach somewhere, you're definitely going to get paid and probably sell maybe a couple artworks or something. Like that. It is very kind of unique in that sense because I, I can't no other form of art comes to mind. That's really the same as that. You know? Yeah. No, I think that's, that's, and you know, it's like, how do you do it? Well, you have to do this thing in order to get it. If you're a painter, yeah. you know, no one's there making you do it. Right? Yes. Yeah. So um, that's what I li like about tattooing. It really, 
you know, puts the pressure on you to show up. And then, you know, you're always going to have someone there to chat with, right? If you're doing a painting, you, no one's probably going to be there to, to for talk sure. to you. And you don't know what it looks like because you've been looking at it for so long and this and that. And yeah, you're not really getting that feedback during the process. Right. Either. It's like after the fact it might, and you know, it could take years. <clears throat> it could take days, you know, depending on, on the artworks. Did you ever get any like tattoo ideas that were just some of like the wackiest, weirdest things? Uh, yeah, you know, people have a lot of different ideas where they want like a family tree, but they want like every single person's name in the tree. And you're like, <laughs> but they want it on their finger. And you're like, well, how the fuck am I going to do that? You yeah. I and mean? so you kind of, then, then it becomes like a negotiation, right? You're, For sure. You kind of get the stranger and you guys problem solve together and kind of come to an agreement and then, you know, go from there. Right. I also get this probably like a bit of like, uh, like having worked on so many tattoos, you understand what types of tattoos will look good in different parts of people's body and kind of like how it should be laid out and flow. And like everybody's leg is different. Some people have like a leg where maybe this type of thing would look better than that. Yeah. And you maybe also have to negotiate with them, not just their concept, but like, where do they even want it? Cause maybe somebody wants something that's very like square on like, a, like their forearm. And you're like, this is not the best place to put that type of work. Yeah. Uh, that happens all the time, to be honest with you. I think placement is key and, you could put a good tattoo in a bad place and it's still going to kind of be weird. But if, if you make it fit and you yeah. kind of give them that suggestion and kind of figure out like, what are they going to do down the road? Like, do you plan on getting a full sleeve or is this your only tattoo? You know, that's going to kind of determine like the background and, and yeah. different things like that. Yeah. Like do you, do you leave it open to continue the work? Right. Or do you kind of, you know, put that finish on it where it's like kind of its own it's sealed in yeah, yeah. it's almost sealed in whereas you know we know we're going to be working on something down the leg on your piece so we left like a nice flowy smoky kind of edge to it to kind of blend into yeah um so so to go back to like the question about kind of wild tattoos what, what do you have like a memory in your head of of all the tattoos you've given some of like the the most unusual or like wacky tattoos I don't really, I never really did a whole lot of wacky tattoos. I never tattooed myself. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. No, no one, like all, all your years traveling, you never got any like kind of weird things? I don't know. There were always like weird uh, like suggestions. Okay, you know yeah. I mean? but, but what actually gets put on the body is not yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I tried to stay away from that kind of like corny, like, I don't know. I tattooed slut on my friend one time like he just wanted a banner that said slut you know what i mean like, and I, I didn't have anything to do so we did it and later on i i covered that up uh, i had some friends that had gotten into some trouble and he had uh at a party one of our buddies tattooed his name on his ass and he was about to go to prison his, for his, wait, wait, his yeah. own name on his ass no, his, his friend nate tattooed his name on it on his ass so his name oh, wasn't no. that but he had the word nate on his ass and he was going to go to prison so i just yeah. put a black square over it uh -huh. you know <laughs> just like as a homie gift like yeah. you know i got you you don't even worry about paying dog yeah this is like going away present i'm just gonna black this out for you hopefully everything works out on the other side you know? <laughs>
um but little things like that yeah there's always interesting things like that but yeah you know you don't want to go to prison with a tram stamp no nah, just... you don't want to have some dude's dude's name on your ass no that's, that's tough dude and you also day. probably don't want to have like a woman's face on your back <laughs> you're right there's certain tattoos that are not safe for prison yeah, Preferred yeah. not safe for work yeah not safe for prison be careful certain numbers you know that oh, lightning sure. bolt may may not work out so good for her maybe it will i don't know you, you know, yeah that's on where you go but that's uh, I, you know, uh, one of the guys that really kind of taught me the black and gray stuff actually was in prison for a really long time. And he was one of the guys that when he got out, he stuck to his plan, the super discipline, super hard work. Like he was the only tattoo artist that I ever saw that had a Bentley, you know, just from tattooing. So he went from doing years in prison and, and just being, you know, in in and out and not having any hope to like busting his ass in the tattoo world and getting up to that level where i was like damn dude like i could do this you know like but it's going to take some work if i but if i if i stick to it like you know here's a perfect example of somebody dude this is one of the things i love about america is we like live in a country where you know you can you can fuck up you can yeah. make some mistakes you can go to prison but you do your time and then you know you 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 take time to like put together a plan of what you want in life. And then you have the discipline to, to, to stick with it and follow through. And you can work yourself up to being like, you know, a successful uh, professional with like, you know, all the things a successful professional has, the cars, the house, all that sure, kind of stuff. hundred percent. That's cool, man. Yeah. He was really inspirational to me for sure. Yeah, and tattoo uh, culture is also pretty big in uh, prison too, right? Yeah, I mean, I, that's Probably. how you identify everything, I think, you know. And that's what people think. They think, like, I was in prison or I'm a tattoo artist. There's, like, no other fucking possible, you know, work that I could be doing with tattoos on my neck, on my head, on my hands. It's like, you're either a fucking criminal <laughs> or you're, like, a fucking really good tattoo artist, you know? So people just... yeah. People will just come up to me and guess. They'll be like, oh, are you a tattoo artist? They're like, yeah, I could tell. You do, know? do you feel like it's changing a bit these days? Because I'm just thinking like even in the 90s, you would see tattoos, but they were not as like prominent as I think they are today. And then also there's certain locations. Like I remember, you know, 10 years ago, a face tattoo was one of the craziest things ever. Yeah. And now like they're kind of like getting somewhat common. Yeah. Uh, so, so it seems like just like tattoo acceptance in our particular culture it has been growing a lot oh for sure 100 percent. i mean especially i think that was one of the things in austin that was so you know helpful was like everyone had tattoos you know and, and then it started to like professionals wanted to get them you know so it wasn't just the waitress it was like now the cook and yeah. then the, the owner now or the cook became the owner and he has tattoos so now everyone can get them you know and like even in professional things like software development all these companies like it's like they all have want tattoos they have them they're accepted in the workplace you know even like the medical field you like go to the emergency room and like the fucking emergency room doctor is covered in tattoos you know it's just a badass dude you know dude, what i mean it's so funny you say that man like uh i actually have a friend he's an er doctor in houston and he's got tattoos it's just a crazy extreme life you know you're a doctor that has to handle all this crazy shit like at all hours of the night i, I also don't see why it needs to be an extreme thing and like in my opinion because I, I think you know everybody likes art right so like why would you not want to have a piece of art on your body in history there's been so many cultures that have 
had tattoos too. Yeah. The, you know, they find bodies in like the Himalayas that are 10,000 years old and they're, they're tattooed. And it's like, we've been doing this for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the Vikings, like the people who are in modern day France and Germany and stuff. Yeah. They used to be like tatted up. Yeah. Like on their, like their own. And they had like their own kind of culture. The, the, of, co of course, the Maori people in New Zealand. Yeah. Like that was a big part of their was, culture yeah, but it's a lot about the pain of it and like the endurance of it like the the more tattoos you had obviously the more pain you had and the more badass you probably were so it was a good sign to you know maybe show your enemy that you know i'm not fucking around over here you know i think you can tell a lot about a person by their tattoos you know i think so just or at least about maybe their journeys in life. Yeah. Sometimes people evolve maybe past what's on them now. Sure. They got something 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And and like now maybe like that's not necessarily what they've got in, but it kind of is almost like a time capsule where like a, it represents a part of like what led them to where they're at now. Yeah. I always kind of recommend that too. Like, you know, they'll have something from a long time ago that maybe it still represents them and it's not like a bad thing. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And they want to cover it up you know i'm just like just get another one dude you know what <laughs> i mean like why are you gonna go back you can't go back in time and try to erase the past and like yeah yeah there's certain times where like if you want a cohesive piece you can laser it off for the sake of just it's in a prime real estate but a lot of times dude i just recommend like just get more get another one get a new one you know yeah you're, you're gonna forget about that old tattoo after you get this new one you're gonna be thinking about your next one and also yeah that represents like a part of your life in some way so it's like you don't want to like necessarily lose that look that like lesson and, and i agree yeah. with you like if, if you have something like a little small one in the middle of your back and you want to put like a big piece there yeah it kind of messes up that canvas so i get it in that situation yeah but i also agree with you where it's like on your arm here you can put a sleeve around it yeah like you don't necessarily have to get rid of that right another thing i wanted to chat with you about is uh a little bit about rock climbing so yeah you know like when we first like met uh one of the things i noticed is right above like the door in your studio you have that hangboard yeah and so i remember like asking you i'm like hey like do you rock climb like I'm trying to get back into it. Like, you know, what, what's your experience with that? And you were telling me during COVID, it's something yeah. you kind of got into. Yeah, w it was when uh, that Alex Arnold, Arnold. Oh, uh, yeah, Alex Honnold. Honnold, yeah. The Free that, Solo, dude. The Free Solo, that movie. I think that came out right around, like, COVID or a I think little you're before right. or after. Yeah, right before, maybe. Yeah, so, yeah, everyone always asks because they don't know what it is. It's just basically a a board that looks like you know it has holes in it exactly and uh, like is this like a piece of abstract art what is this yeah it almost looks like it could be uh like some sort of like weird sculpture you know yep but yeah we, we just hang from it and stretch out like in between tattoos like doing like the fingerboard things we figured if you know that guy that did free solo basically all he did was hang from this board to get strong like we could do that here so yeah dude i can tell it definitely works because we went climbing and uh like i've noticed i have like upper body strength like if i can get a good grip i can pull myself up like very well even on like overhang walls but one thing like i'm not the best at is having like hand strength yeah so like if i'm just hanging on by like one like knuckle to finger and i need to like pull myself up like a flat wall fine an overhang wall like um it's very very tough for me 
but uh, when we were climbing, dude, you had like very good hand strength. Like I remember the first like warm up thing we were working on, like I, I was trying to like make this grip and like grab onto this thing, like kind of shuffle my hands over. I couldn't even hold on to it. And then like, you know, I've been climbing for maybe like a couple weeks at that point. And it's like your first time climbing in like years. Yeah. And you just like grabbed onto it and you're like, oh, it's like this. And you just like shuffled over and did it. I was like, Whew. yeah, it gives you some crazy strength, dude. I don't know if it just like connects your like fingertip to your core <laughs> and it like turns your hand into like this crazy hook, you know? Yeah, I, I was reading about it and they're saying uh, doing the hangboard, you don't even have to do like max time or max like weight, uh, but you can do like sub maximal effort. But if you, you can do it maybe uh, at least six hours apart, you can do it in the morning and then at night. Yeah. And it's supposed to like uh, help increase like your tendon strength like a lot. Yeah, like you only have to do like the training on it was like 30 seconds, like twice a day. I'm like, this is perfect. 30 seconds of work and you're getting like superhuman strength. I think know? even 30 seconds, they consider to be more like power endurance. Yeah. Like some, like I, I've actually kind of gone down the rabbit hole in this oh, recently, okay, yeah. but they're saying like for like strength, just like seven seconds. Yeah, some crazy yeah. <laughs> little amount of time that gives you like crazy benefits. I'm like, we're doing that. Yeah, for sure, dude. Like I, I don't, I have one of those in my house, but I haven't set it up. I'm like in a rental right now. Yeah. Uh, I used to have it up in my other house, but like on my doorway, there's like a lip that goes around the door yeah. that's like real thick and solid. It's like a real, like it's not going to break at all. So I've been like hanging on that like every morning and night to just try to like strengthen my hands. Oh, that's going to be crazy for jujitsu. That's what I'm hoping, dude. So I need to like fuck those grab onto somebody and they're going to be like, what the fuck was that? Dude, that's that's the goal, man. And like I did a tournament uh, last month. I did the ADCC Open in Austin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had been, uh, I did the, I hiked the Inca Trail. So I got the tattoo by you. Yeah. A couple of days later, we went to Peru. We, we hiked the Inca Trail. And then I uh, came back and I had like two weeks to train, I think, before that. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, I got, got into climbing like right before. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to climb. I'm going to get my running in. I'm going to work out. This will be no problem. And uh, I was climbing maybe like three days a week. And in that tournament, I can say like, I really noticed like a big difference in my grips. Like in, in my match in the finals, I like grabbed this dude's like head. He was, he had two hands, uh, double wrist grips on my arm I was trying to strangle him with. And so I took the other arm and uh, just like went to grab his head. I was gonna threaten like the one arm choke. And I was just kind of lifting his head up and turning it to expose under the chin and start to strangle him. But like, I guess I gripped so hard on his head and turned him, he was just tapping right away. Oh shit. Man. And I was like, bro, I wasn't even trying to submit him. I just grabbed onto like his head and face hard enough where like he had to tap. Dude, yeah. And After going like, climbing with you, like I want to go to your next jujitsu match just to see the grab, like the strength that you're going to have. Dude, I'm trying to develop like that chimp strength where like yeah. you hear about these people who have like pet chimps. And then they bring over someone to the house who like the chimp is not cool with. Yeah. And the chimp just like goes nuts and just like rips off their face or like <laughs> like just rips their arms off. Yeah. Like that's the goal to develop like as close to chimp strength as possible. Dude, you're on your way, bro. Just get that fingerboard out. <laughs> that, that's my goal, dude. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I got like another tournament uh, a week from this weekend. And then uh, I think two or three weeks after that in New Jersey. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. Now I got like a solid like month of like climbing under my belt. So uh, they say like, you know, within 30 days, you're going to have crazy strength, like six weeks, eight weeks. You get that, you get there. I'm excited to see how far this goes though, because like uh, I see what I'm able to do and then I'll, I'll see, you know, some like 
12 year old kid come up next to me and just like crush some wall i was struggling with yeah and i was like i, I see like the potential for strength gains to be so much further than where i'm at yeah this is one of those things where we're talking about the the joy of being a beginner in something yeah and like the technique is oh is yeah. very you know not intuitive right like you want to muscle everything up whereas yes. you should be actually like hanging and pushing with your legs instead of trying to you know pull with your arms yes my, my, my technique is, is still like terrible so i'm trying to work on that but even just like the hand strength like there's certain holds where like i can't even start like to do the the route because i just can't even hold on to like the grip yeah and then i'm like okay like maybe right now i can't but give me like two or three months yeah. maybe i'll be able to do this uh and so just like thinking about that it makes me like amped and we were talking about being a beginner and everything being like magical. I definitely feel like that now, where like I'll see someone do something. This person's not even like a pro. They're just someone who's done it for like two years or something. Yeah. And I'm just like, head explodes. I'm like, what the heck? How did they possibly do this? Yeah. Like there was this route I was struggling on the other day. And then some girl who like weighs maybe 115 pounds, like she was tiny, came up like next to me and just did it like effortlessly. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like, yeah it's like, technique you know i mean yeah girls seem to have that you know they don't have an overpowering amount of strength that they can use but the technique is so good that they can kind of you know conquer all these things that you might not be able to with just raw power you know well the technique and then also i think the strength for their like weight yeah like the strength to weight ratio is like high oh for sure you know absolutely yeah Where that's kind of what i have going for me is like you know you, well you can really tell dude because like you were grabbing all those holds and i was like dude like some of these like your your finger strength is much stronger than mine yeah i feel like we, we can both pull each other up walls but like my hand can't hold on to the same kind of grip that your hand can yeah yeah dude you got that i'm gonna get on that i'm gonna get on that uh <laughs> that board though dude I'm yeah telling you gotta you. think the weight to yeah. ratio is gonna be way crazier for you, you know? yeah for sure but give me a couple months yeah. and then i'm gonna get on your level and then we'll have some fun climbs yeah for <laughs> sure dude yeah dude we got we gotta get back to the climbing too that was fun yeah that was a lot of fun that place is super nice super chill dude they're opening up a, another one in pflugerville too i think like right up the road it's supposed to be like brand new and i think they're gonna have like those uh sport climbing walls the ones that are like you know 50 feet tall or whatever that you have yeah. to like harness in yeah and you just kind of like just see how fast you can go up well so there's the speed ones but then there's just ones that are like technically difficult but instead of it just being like you know three hard moves on like a 15 foot wall yeah it'll be like four hard moves over like a 50 foot wall with some easier moves in between okay so you'll like you'll get up you'll be kind of tired and then you'll have to do some like harder move yeah get up some more and then another harder move i think once you get up past a certain height you know oh, that you're, you're, the uncomfortableness of being you know 30 feet as opposed to 10 feet is a is definitely different yeah i've done it before with uh the auto belays so essentially you're always connected to like a belay and as you climb up, it just automatically like takes out the slack. So whenever you drop, it's like it's catching you right away. Yeah. But when you do like the sport climbing, you have to like click yourself in as you climb up the wall. But let's say you have a clip in front of you and then you're five feet above it and you haven't clipped it in the next hold and you like fall. You fall the five feet down to the clip and then another five feet down because uh. that's how long that's how much slack is on the rope. So you fall like 10 feet. Yeah. And swing into the wall. Yeah. 
So like you end up like taking some hits if you're not careful. Yeah, it's cool when they're lower because I think you get more reps. You yeah, know? for sure. You're not like <laughs> fucking stuck on the wall for a, a certain amount of time. Yeah, I'm thinking it'd be fun to do mostly like the bouldering and every once in a while, like try to do the big walls just to like work on the endurance. And then it also, it feels more like maybe you're climbing an actual rock. Yeah. Because there's something cool about what people like Alex Honnold do. Yeah. Where, I mean, not even remove the free solo aspect of it just the thought of being able to do some climb where you're like 2,000 feet off the ground and not being totally terrified it's just it's mind-blowing to me like i'm afraid of heights yeah me too but like I've, I've still tried to do things to conquer my heights like i went bungee jumping in uh south africa oh my god so we, we went off it was like the world's tallest commercial bridge that you can just jump off of and we had a zip line out to like the center of the bridge and you go over like, I don't know, like a 500 foot drop or something. Jesus. And, and it was, dude, it was so terrifying. Just like going out to the bridge, I was like terrified. And then we had to like, they, they kind of, it's like a, like a rainbow shape and you kind of catch in the middle and they like grab onto you. If they don't grab onto you, you start to go back out to the center. And that's where it's like very far. And I remember just being like, so like scared of just zip lining out there. And then they walk us up to the top and they're like, it was us, um, me, like my girlfriend, and then these two guys from Israel. And they're like, uh, who wants to go first? And I'm like, me, me, me. Like, I'm like, immediately, I'm like, if I stay up here for like another 10 minutes, it's going to be so much worse. Yeah. I'm like, let's just go first and just like get it over with and then I can relax. So, so I remember doing that. And it was like, it was one of the most terrifying things I've done, dude. Like, remember like jumping and just like on the way down, I was like, maybe this is when I die. And then it like, <laughs> It looks like violent, like it's swinging you all crazy. But when you're actually doing it, like there's so much slack in the bungee, you actually don't. You feel very smooth. Okay. You don't feel like you're being like swung around. You don't Remember? get like that like shock. I've seen like people like hit yes. the water and then like it's <laughs> sprung back up. Like, oh my god! No, we we're still pretty far from the bottom. Uh, but I didn't feel like any kind of whiplash. Like, it, how do they bring you back up? Dude, yeah. so check this out. There's a guy. It's his job to like be on a rope and they like send him down. So he's just sitting there at the top, you're, you're done jumping. And then he just like drops down on this rope and then he grabs you, hooks into you and then they pull both oh of you God, back up. So you, there's another guy you got to rely on to get you back up to the top, eh? Yeah, and what's crazy about it is like, he does this all day long. So right. this dude's just sitting there and like, you know, 50, 60 times a day, however many people go, he's just going down after each person coming back up. He's just like up there eating a sandwich and like, oh shit. Got half a fucking Subway sandwich in his oh mouth my, that's, that comes down and gets you. That's such a crazy way to pay the bills, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, dude. It's wild, bro. That uh, is fucking crazy. My feet would like, like feel the bottoms of your feet, like not wanting to go near the edge, you know? You're like, fuck this, dude. dude it was wild because when we were doing it too, there was, uh, there was like a forest fire that like started up like maybe a couple hours before we got there. So there was like all the smoke that was like wafting across like the area we're gonna be jumping. And we're kind of looking around like, are we good? Like, really concerned with this out of control fire? Not to mention you're in like a third world country where yeah, medical help is not exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, there's somewhat of a language barrier, like plenty of people speak English, but there's <laughs> also people who like don't as well. Sure uh yeah dude it's was, it was pretty interesting they're like just go and you're like fuck and then they kind of give you the the heave hole it's like walking the plank or something like dude well it's interesting they bring you up there it's like and they try to make it quick so you don't overthink it yeah but they just they, they basically tie the thing on your feet and then they get you up and they walk you to the edge real quick 
and they're like, okay, ready? Three, two, one. And then they like, they're supposed to kind of be there to hold you so you don't fall back. But I think it's one of those situations where like when they say one, if you don't jump, you're getting a slight push, you Ooh, know? Yeah. Like they're not gonna like shove you off, but that like, guy's got a fun job. Yeah, for sure. I would, I'd rather be the guy like pushing them off to kind of like help them rather than like the guy yeah. that has to like keep going and getting them. Cause I was watching it and it's like, it doesn't look like there's any turning back once you get there. Yeah, no, it, for sure. it seems like most people get kind of like persuaded off the edge, whether they're really- Yeah, we'll get you here and before you can decide, you're going down one yeah, way or another, yeah. dude. Once you get a to a certain point. Yeah. Oh man. Have you ever done any kind of like uh, skydiving? Or... I've never done skydiving. I've never done bungee jumping. Um, smart, all very smart yeah. decisions. <laughs> I, like, I went in the plane one time when they were jumping, like my brothers jumped and they're like, oh, you know, you can ride in the plane and like, I swear to God, like that was worse than jumping out of the plane because the pilot like just nose dives straight down to the runway and like you were like on the ground even before the people that jumped. That out is of the plane. so much more terrifying. It was absolutely horrendous. Because you're just in this plane, you're like it's headed straight for the ground. Yeah. You're like, bro, yeah, no way. No, they they definitely put it on you, dude. They're like, oh, you, you should have jumped, like literally jumped out of the plane. It's on my were. bucket list, dude. I, I want to do that. We, we were gonna go in South Africa too, but uh, it was like too windy or whatever, so we couldn't do it. Yeah, that's that's on the list. And I don't, I, I hate heights. I'm like terrified, but I'm just more like I want to do it to prove to myself that I can overcome my fears. Yeah, but it's the thought of it is like will give me nightmares. It's terrible. Yeah, I just haven't had the urge to do it. I do enough dangerous shit on the, <laughs> that I do on a daily basis rather than that. So yeah, yeah. I guess for those listening, uh, you're also a uh like an avid uh follower of like f1 racing yeah like racing, racing in general yeah right? our, our shop sponsors a usf race car which is like the under series for indycar so that's like the american version of f1 and we have an f1 track here in austin so it's easy to like get into it and go to the track and see all that stuff we got to travel around we went to toronto they shut down the streets and you know since we were sponsoring one of the cars we were sitting in like the mclaren booth and saw the behind the scenes pit stops that's so cool man so they're doing the race in like downtown toronto yeah it's called the streets of toronto wow. they actually go through like the queen's gate and then all the way up lakeshore drive and around the stadium and it that's cool. I feel like it's something out of like a grand turismo course or it something, really you know? was dude it was unbelievable <laughs> You know, it, it rained and they were racing in the rain and crashing all over the place. And well, yeah, how did wow. they stop people from not just like running into buildings at that point? They, they set up barriers all, okay. all over the whole city. I mean, you know, fences to keep the cars in. So you could see, you know, all the big buildings and everything, but like the storefronts were protected essentially. Yeah, it wasn't really like in the storefronts. It was like around a bunch of hotels and a stadium uh, and then like okay. up, up the lake. And, uh, yeah, so, but, I mean, if you're going down the straight, you know, you're looking right at the city skyline. Yeah. Toronto's an awesome place. I don't know if you've been there. No, I haven't it been. It's, it's on my cool. list. I've never been to, to Canada, but I want to go. Toronto yeah. looks cool. Yeah, the hotel that we stayed at was, like, right on the track. They had a, like, it was, like, 26-story uh, hotel with, like, a restaurant on the top. You see the whole skyline, the whole racetrack. Man, <laughs> it was awesome. How, how long have you been um, like racing for? 
Uh, this is like one of, uh, something new. I used to really be into motorcycles and stuff, but um, I just rather have four wheels now. You know, yeah, you're like, you know, motorcycles are a little dangerous. Let me move over to something easier yeah. or something safer. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, racing my Corvette. Yeah. Going 200 miles per hour. Like, you know, I'm, tr I'm trying to be trying to be old and responsible, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You want to be somewhat safer and like, you know, I've, I got a seatbelt. <laughs> yeah. I've had the opportunity to, to like race in open wheel formula cars on the track and, you know, take the vet on the track. And it's like the more time you're on the track, like the less crazy you are in the streets. Cause yes. you, you just, you get it. You're you like, out this is phone. fucking unsafe, <laughs> you know, like safety's number one, like get it out of your system and, you know, don't break the law, I guess. So what is the car? You, you took your own Corvette on the track. I What's take, the other one? Yeah, I've taken the Corvette and then I've also taken uh, the open wheel Formula 4 car. Ah, what's so that like? That's pretty cool. It's like a whole different kind of feeling. It has like uh, aero, so it really, you know, has downforce. Yeah. Whereas like, a, you know, you're driving in a car, it has a spoiler, but it doesn't really do anything. It's These, more for a look, yeah. Yeah, they're like airplane wings, but they're flipped upside down. So it pushes the car down as opposed to like lifting it yeah i would assume at like the speeds you're driving and the kind of angles of these these turns are taken it's actually probably remarkably noticeable oh 100 percent. yeah, yeah. you may not have that like super power to like go really fast like out of the corner but you carry so much more speed where you're generating like that g-force you know you're like like a fighter pilot or something you're just kind of stuck to the seat and then you have like a, a racing simulator at your home that you use, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I get a lot of laps in the simulator. Yeah, I think that that makes you know it a little bit more fun on the track. You really get those reps and can sort out some of the details of the track because they're like hundred percent accurate. Can you like, for example, that Formula Four car that you raced? Can you like race that in your simulator? Yeah, you can race the exact same car. Does it feel almost the same when you're actually on the track? It's pretty close. Like the braking points and like the racing line, you know, what to do when you're with other cars, like all that stuff, like the safety rating yeah. is very like, you know, very realistic. I think the only thing that's not is like the weather or like you know you being cold or you being hot or the track you know they even have the track temperature and all that stuff simulated on there but yeah you just don't get the g-force and the you know the rush yeah you don't feel like you're gonna actually die yeah but the mechanics of driving are yeah. like all there and you don't get you know if you rack you don't have to replace a f4 car can you uh your corvette do they have that on the simulator as well oh yeah yeah okay so essentially any car you could conceive of really driving you can yeah. essentially model it in the simulator yeah totally is it almost like homework where like if you're gonna take one of the cars out you're like okay let's like let's get some hours in on the simulator let's like practice it's like oh for sure get a feel for like the shifting and the brakes and everything yeah and to you know it gives you that focus to like stay in the race that whole time you know like oh, yeah. you're gonna be on there for 20 minutes like let's do 20 minutes in the simulator that way you kind of have that time yeah it must be so wild though to be like you know have, have done this so much at home in the simulator and then to be on the actual track and be like okay now i'm in like the real thing that's yeah. like let's, let's kind of cut it loose and see how this goes yeah it's it really does help i mean it's it makes it a lot more fun because you really can't you know 
there's nothing more expensive than race cars. For you sure. know what I mean? I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you have, like you're going to spend all of your money on it. You yeah. Know? Like those F1 cars, they're like the hundreds of millions of dollars or something. I think they're, for a car, I think they're like 10, 12 million, 10, 12 million per, okay. per car plus. Yeah. Which is knows? still ridiculous. Yeah. Who knows how much money it costs to like develop the car and shit, but yeah. Yeah. They say like every time someone passes you an F1, it's like, 10 million dollar difference between each place so oh and like how much money you make yeah <laughs> so every time so someone expensive. passes you 10 million dollars you know flies out of your pocket and that's uh, heartbreaking and, and, and but, yeah they, <laughs> but then when you pass people too you know you're just like racking up the yeah. money you pass a handful of people yeah just like cha-ching 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 100 <laughs> yeah they're hard on those drivers man you got to perform yeah. if you're not performing they're gonna cut your ass off so fast i mean it's to talk about like pressure yeah i mean every professional sport has that but like just the, the amount of money that comes down to like each of those like movements and places is crazy yeah it's a limited amount of time that you have to perform you know if you're having a bad day dude sorry but it does not matter and it's also something like basketball or football if you're having a bad day like they can probably bench you maybe put in like the sec like if you're a receiver right yeah like they probably would want you in the game but you have like a bad first quarter or like you feel sick you get food poisoning whatever it is they can just they can put another guy in yeah i mean like he's maybe not as, as good but like they can make it work or they give you they give you five minutes on the bench to like compose yourself, but in the race like you don't really get that. No, you don't get that at all. No, you gotta get a go, and if you don't feel good, like not only could you lose, you could also die. Yeah, and you know it's all about the car too. You know maybe your car is not performing, and you know you're getting mad at the car. It's like you gotta be friends with the car. You know, what yeah, I mean? like you don't want to upset the car. It's <laughs> kind of the whole the whole when it boils down, it's like just be friends with the car don't upset the car you have to live in harmony with the car yes you 100%. and the car must merge into one yeah and when it does it's like a, it's this magical moment where you're one with the car the track and everything's working really well like that's where like that magic kind of if you're driving the simulator though and you crash how, like you also get kind of nervous because you're like oh yeah you bro. get totally pissed yeah because you're like totally bro pissed. if this was real well you're also yeah. like spend a ton of time and you're you know you're in the race <laughs> an hour goes by and then if you're live you gotta wait for everyone to recoup and oh yeah kind of sucks, bums dude. your whole day out <laughs> yeah i'm not really into video games at all so this is like you know new for me to play online with other people yeah you're hearing them talk shit and is it pretty competitive oh yeah yeah, yeah it's it's so competitive i mean people live for this shit. are there like professionals at that there are yeah yep they just like stream on twitch yeah they stream they make youtube videos um you know some of them i think are actually race car drivers in real life that's what i was wondering if there's any yeah. actual drivers on there yeah there's series on there where like because it, it makes sense you know like if you don't want to spend the money or they don't want to take the risk with you damaging your vehicle to go on the actual track you can get hours in and like practice yeah and then you know maybe make money while you're doing it i think you can go from simulating it to actually being good enough oh like if you get good enough on a simulator they'll put you in a yeah, real car yeah they have like leagues where like if you win the league you win a a spot in their, uh, on their race team that's cool dude. yeah that's that's something that's very uh possible not many people do it but yeah it sounds like the, it's like the nfl combine of like racing yeah <laughs> well it's like how how do they they need drivers you know yeah there's not a whole lot of people out there that are capable of that 
Is there like a certain age range that most of the elite drivers are? Uh, yeah, they're all pretty young guys. Are there any of them who, you know, like are in their 40s or 50s? There's a few, not too many, but yeah, there's some OGs in there. Is it more because of the capability, like the reaction speed at that point? Or is it like, you know, Man, they... They have kids, they have a family, yeah. they, they realize it's, it's risky and I think dangerous. the career is, you know, not a longevity thing. There's like f very few drivers that make it past a certain point and have long enough careers to where they can stay, like fighting, right? Yeah. It's a lot of young dudes in there. Once you get to a certain age, right? You got a whole new group of guys that are used to the new fast shit and you grew up on this other kind of car and you know yeah that makes sense too it's a little bit of like kind of like technical edge comes yeah, into play it's like they're fearless you know they've been on these tracks more they are used to more tack and the fearless is a big part of it though yeah i'd imagine because like they haven't I'd, been in that rack that fucking you know and, put them out or and the older you get so you get more aware of like your own mortality like oh, when yeah. you're young you're like there's no way i'm gonna crash for sure it's impossible and even if you do it's yeah. fine you know you're like i'll survive it's good yeah and then you get older you see a couple people get mangled and you're like yikes maybe i'm gonna slow down a little bit on this yeah. next turn i think there's a huge strategy to it you know especially yeah. with fighters right like for sure you gotta make as much of it outside the ring work as possible and then using the platform to kind of like you know do things outside of fighting that are gonna help you yeah that's where dudes like uh you know your your boy sugar sean yeah dude i got the sugar show shirt on this is like an og shirt too that's dope dude that's cool man but uh yeah you, you know, can he, tell he doesn't have the con candy hair on that one it's yeah like this one that natural this one's super og that's but, cool dude but he, i think he's a good example of that where he's got like his hand in a lot of different pies yeah i think he yeah. does the the twitch streaming he has the the cannabis uh company yeah he's he got some the bromally show even he's got a few yeah. podcasts and yeah he just he's out there you know like just besides the performances you know what i mean like yeah showing people you know that you got to do more than that yeah and he's, he's getting into a lot of different things like uh actually i'm wearing my uh kill tony shirt oh nice yeah he was at kill tony yeah so this is uh hans kim versus rick diaz they uh had a comedy showdown at uh, the Kill Tony in the HEB Center here Sick. on uh, New Year's Eve. And uh, the ref for this was Sugar Sean. Oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah. So nice. he was actually they had ref in their match. And it's like, that's the kind of thing, too, where he's like exposing himself to like a completely different like audience of people. Yeah. And, you know, he's funny. It's one of those things, too, where like this was a podcast in like a stadium. Yeah. So he kind of had to come out. And it's not like he's going out there and like talking about fighting. Right. He's going out there and like, it's a comedy thing that he's like being involved in yeah people probably didn't even know he was a ufc fighter maybe even, even well you know i, th I think he's popular enough now because he's the champ i think a lot yeah. of people knew who he was but like someone like my girlfriend like if i didn't show her fighting she'd have no clue who he was yeah yeah totally you know? so i think there was a bit of that too but yeah, it was cool man i just i just like the when you see athletes who are fans of like things that you're also a fan of yeah it's pretty cool yeah yeah sugar was definitely one to watch like even in the beginning you know he had this the contender series knockout and snoop was like sugar sugar you know this and he's got such a great name too like yeah he came out and he's already like marketable because i remember he like did the knockout he had snoop dog doing the whole sugar thing yeah and then he shot like the the free throw like fadeaway. Yeah, that was iconic well and it's cool like he's more like positive and like you know believe in yourself you can do this or as opposed to like 
Colby and like all these other guys that like pick these heel kind of fake actor things and it's like yeah you know what i mean like i'd rather see like positivity like being put out like funny comedy whatever but not like you know just yeah down and dirty kind of he's also he's, he's got a good brand too where like i think and this is something i think a lot of people struggle with in the martial arts world is like he put together a good brand of who he was he's like sugar sean he's not just sean o'malley yeah he's like sugar sean he has like a whole like look yeah he's like an aesthetic he's easy for people to remember because like i think it's part of the thing is like there's you know 500 fighters in the ufc how are people going to remember you yeah and he's got like a distinct look like people remember oh he's the dude with like the the pink afro yeah it was like the wild tattoos who dresses like you know however he dresses yeah you can you can dress up like sugar sean we, we had, yeah we had the the we chains and the hat <laughs> or the pink wig we were doing some tattoos with that on there yeah it's like you want to be the fighter where people can dress up as you for halloween and people know who you are yeah you know what that, i mean yeah that is a good benchmark for sure yeah because you got like a chill sun in he was very popular but like how would he dress up as him and anyone would have any idea of who he is yeah there's very few people that yeah you, know, so you could dress, you could probably dress up like, like conor mcgregor or something you, you do conor mcgregor he's got like the distinct tattoo and like a certain swagger yeah you could probably do like i'm thinking old school like chuck liddell with the, with the, the mohawk. mohawk yeah you could rampage do. jackson with like that giant dog chain yeah you could probably do that for sure there's certain fighters like john jones again best fighter in the world but i don't know how you dress up as a john jones yeah i don't know how you would either there's he doesn't have much of like a character as far as like his look goes exactly but i don't know if you'd want to be john jones you'd have to that's tough really step it up well this is how you could be john jones you could just put like uh like some coke like some some <laughs> white dust on your face and then you could look like you just got in a car accident and you're running from the scene yeah you'd have to like <laughs> have your buddy dress up as daniel cormier and like, yeah your girlfriend could be the pregnant woman whose car you just hit. <laughs> Dude, so yeah, Sugar Sean, he's fighting. Uh, March, looks like March 9th on UFC 299. Is it March 9th? Holy it's, shit, It's March 9th. Up. Yeah, so it's the last one before UFC 300. So actually, just, just look this up yesterday. Uh, obviously, we know who you got. Yeah. How, how do you think Sugar's going to win this one? Oof, and for, for context, for those listening, they fought once before, like five or six years ago, something like that. And uh, very early in both their careers. And it, the fight ended in like a weird way where Shido hit him with a calf kick. And this is back when the calf kicks were still kind of new. And they say there's like this nerve in your, your lower leg that if you get hit there, it kind of shuts off your foot. Uh, Henry Cejudo in one of his fights got hit with that early on. It's like basically like your your kind of lower leg just goes dead yeah so he had this happen fell to the ground and then they called it a tko but he was not like knocked out he just kind of like fell to the ground he was covering up and like and then they ended it but it was no like like knockout shots being landed yeah it was kind of like a fluke it looked like yeah and, and that's what the sean said and then cheeto obviously feels differently and yeah. and you you gotta like this is how you build the fight yeah you gotta say that but i think uh, if you look at how sean's continued to perform since then winning all of his fights and then like just having that walk-off ko of aljermaine sterling and yeah. to win the title and then you see how cheeto's done where well, he's done very well but you know he's had some fights go like five rounds and, and like look good but not really like stopping people the same way yeah uh i think he stopped the last one he did was dominate cruz he knocked head kicked him 
Oh yeah, because Dominic Cruz doing the head thing. Yeah, she just started throwing more kicks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but to be fair, that was also like an older Dominic Cruz. That was not yeah. like a peak Dominic Cruz. Right. Right. Uh, I don't know. I think Cheeto's he's good. I love watching him. I love his personality. I think he's a badass motherfucker. But at the same time, like Sean picked this fight. You know what I mean? So it's like Cheeto didn't like battle his way to the number one contender and then fight that. You know, so you might be kind of getting them on tilt a little bit. Yeah, I think it, it's going to be a good one. I, but I think it is. It just comes down to like you have two like two fighting dogs. Like they both want to win. They both want to be the champ. And if there's one dude out there who can say that he beat you, but you don't feel like he really beat you, you like you want to get that back because you want to show people like, oh, this guy yeah. talking all this shit. Like, you know, I like. I knew I, I believe it's a fluke and I'm going to show people it and I want to like finish this dude and have there be like no one who could question me. Yeah. So like I get where Sugar's coming from. And then Cheeto, he's now in this situation of, OK, like he believes he's the best in the world. He's beat this guy before. Yeah. Uh, he, he's looked pretty good. He probably feels like his skills are more well-rounded and better than they've ever been. And uh, now you get a chance to go through and, and show, like, do you got what yeah. it takes to be the champ or not? Yeah, you know, and this is this will be his first title defense. And they say there's like that confidence you get from being the champ. You know, you've seen it in Leon Edwards. You've seen it in a in a bunch of new champions. You know, their first title defense. They kind of have this new outlook. So you know, I think that kind of plays into the favor. Of and they the also champ. say you're not the champ until you defend the belt. Right. So like you won the belt, but the, there's a difference especially in your headspace of like be, like getting to the top of the hill and then being able to like to keep the top of the hill yeah. you know yeah you're gonna, now you're gonna have all the the young lions every every match everyone's looking at you as being the top of the division everyone's dreaming about fighting you yeah so you got like everybody gunning for you and then you got like 10 dudes who you kind of have to pay attention to coming up right yeah, I think it's coaching too. I think they they probably got a real good beat on Cheeto's style, so they can kind yeah. of help pick him apart maybe a little bit, just keep him at bay a little bit because he's, he's always going to come forward. I if think he hits you, it's going to be you know a whole other ball game. I think the kicks are really where the fight's going to. I think what happens with the kicks in the first round is going to like for me. I think tell me a lot. Yeah, because because Cheeto has become very kick heavy. He's got strong like kicks and he's good at throwing them and that can land from like a kind of a further range. Sean, he's more of like a, I mean, he kicks as well, but he also, I think throws hands more than he kicks necessarily, but he's so good at controlling range. Yeah. In, in my head, I think it's going to come down to like, can Sean control the range with the kicks and start to like counter, uh, or is Shido going to start to land kicks and maybe start to, you know, bruise up the arms, get him to lower the arms, the body, He's going to be able to hit the legs again and start to slow him down. Yeah, if he can slow him down, you know, Aldermain just didn't have that Skill weapon. Set. Didn't yeah. seem like he had those weapons, you know, that were really dangerous for a fighter like Sean. Yeah, he had, he had the wrestling, which could be dangerous, but he just, Sean's uh, wrestling defense has, has like continued to develop and he looked like that wasn't even really phasing him. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't think Cheeto's going to wrestle him. So I don't no, think they'll come to, think so either. into play, but. Yeah, to me, I see it as I'm like, okay, can can he defend the kicks and kind of like maintain the range and like get Cheeto guessing? And if he can, like, I think he's going to be very successful. Because I, I could also see a world where Cheeto goes to throw those kicks. If you miss a kick, it's not like a, you miss a jab and you can just be back in fight stance. Yeah. If you miss like a rear kick, you're like out of stance for like half a second or a second. 
in that time, Sean's fast enough to like pick you apart. Yeah. Yeah. He's dangerous when you miss. So there's also danger to you throwing those big kicks and having them like not land. Right. And if they don't land that toe on the perennial there, like yeah. the first match, you might be in trouble. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have to watch that one and yeah. uh, do like a wrap up after that fight. <laughs> I'll definitely be in for that. And then uh, that, the whole fight's pretty stacked, man, or the whole card. Uh, I think it's the they haven't released everyone on uh, UFC 300 yet, but uh, of all the cards that I've seen for the year, I think there's two 97s this weekend, then yeah. there's two 98. Then I think there's there's this one, uh, dude. It's stacked. They got. Poirier and uh, that one guy, uh, Benoit. Oh, Saint, really? I didn't even know that the one. The guy, yeah, Benoit Saint Denis is fighting. That oh, he's the French special forces dude. Oh, he's fighting Poirier. That guy. That he's fighting Poirier. Oh, shit, that dude's a fucking savage. He looks so fucking good, dude. I don't know if that's a good matchup for Poirier. He's. The, yeah. I mean, wow. That I mean, that's going to be a crazy fight. Dude. It seems like one of the ones where like Poirier is tried and true. You know, he's like beating the Justin Gaethje's of, yeah. the, of the league. He's beating Conor McGregor. Like he's, he's definitely like an elite fighter, but this guy, uh, Benoit St. Denis, he looks like Terminator. Yeah. Like he just destroys people and, he, and he's good at his submissions. He's good at his, uh, striking. And he just looks to be such like a, like a Terminator type, just like, go right at people and just break them. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting fight. That will be really cool. I can see like, you know, him fighting Gaethje would be a bloodbath or, you know, I, yeah. mean, I don't think Poirier is going to back down, but man, that's going to be wild. I think this is going to be like, I put my money on this as fight of the night. Yeah, like the, very well could be. What was the one that Poirier was in with uh, Chandler? That was a savage beat. Like, Poirier with like everybody. Oh Poirier God. with Chandler and then Poirier and uh, Gaethje was also like, yeah. that was just a bloodbath too. Like they were both just like swinging for the fences, taking all the shots possible. And I think yeah. eventually Poirier caught him and finished him. And yeah. that was his first time he's ever been knocked out. But yeah, when you look back on it, he's a dog, like, dude. Whew. That's going to be a good one. That's going to be good, man. And uh, Poirier, he's like sturdily built. Yeah. yeah. I think he's good enough too to like, hopefully he can keep himself out of trouble against that guy. Because I mean, I, I want to yeah. see Benoit. If he's being a pretty honest, young I, guy. I want to see him win. Like I, I'm a fan of what I've seen so far, yeah. but he just he hasn't been tested the same way that Poirier's been tested. Right. So it's, it's kind of like there's like a question mark on how he's going to do in a fight like this. Right. Uh, <clears throat> then another big fight. Uh, Kevin Holland oh. is fighting uh, Michael Venom Page. Oh shit! Yeah, this is Venom Page first UFC fight, right? Yeah, dude. So he just got signed from the PFL. Oh shit. And uh, for those of you who, who don't know who Michael Venom Page is, he's uh, he's like a he's from the England. He has like a karate or taekwondo background. He's I think he was like a point fighter. But this dude is like tall and skinny and super fast and hits so hard. The way he first came on my radar is he fought um, the male cyborg, which is the, the female cyborg's uh, like husband at the time. Oh shit! And that guy, uh, he's lighting the dude up on the feet. And he's like one of these guys who like you can't touch him he just like can close distance so fast and stay elusive he's like hard to kind of pin down and he went in for like a takedown and uh mvp hit him with the the jump knee and, and did just like knock him out like he fractured his skull oh my god he need him like straight in the face and like fractured like the orbital jesus and then he's had all these other like fights where like he's going against people and just like they can't touch him and he's just like icing them what do you think the pressure is like the difference in like 
the magnitude of the crowd at UFC 298 or what, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, just the it's crowd, be big. the energy. I think there's a, probably a big difference between UFC and PFL in that terms. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think it's it's probably going to be a uh, like a, a tough first fight in the UFC because you're going to be on a massive card. Yeah. And you're going to be on the main card too. So yeah. like there's going to be a lot of eyes on you and this is your first fight. Uh, and you know, he said, he said other big fights he fought, I think in bare knuckle, he fought, uh, Mike Perry. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> so like he's had other fights, but like, you're right. This is a different, it's, it's a bigger like stage than you've ever been on. And then on this big stage, you're also on like a big card. Yeah. You're so, jumping right into the massive pay-per-view and yeah, that's, it's going to be good. And then Kevin Holland's also the kind of dude where like Kevin's tough. And like he likes to Michael Venom Page normally seems like the guy where he likes to get in people's head. Yeah. Like move around, you can't hit me and we talk shit. And then you got like Kevin Holland who like I think his name is Big Mouth. Big Mouth. So uh it's literally know. nonstop shit talking. <laughs> yeah. And like he probably will like like that. Yeah. He's gonna he's and he's gonna be a whole yeah. lot more comfortable in that scenario. I, I think his background too, he was originally like a kung fu dude. Yeah. So I think <laughs> he's like he's like used to these more like traditional style of like martial arts as well. Yeah. And they both got a pretty similar body type. Oh yeah. They're both like kind of tall. I think Kevin Holland's like six three. Venom Page is probably similar. Yeah, I know Holland jumps around way. What is he what are they fighting at? They're fighting at 170. Okay. I think so Holland realized he's a little small for the wrestlers of 185. Yeah. So I think 170 is like a good weight class for someone who probably walks around at 185. Maybe a little bit. I'd more imagine, more, yeah. Maybe like 190. Yeah. Doesn't which, have the crazy cut. He's tall, but he's like he's a lean dude. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's gonna be a big fight who do you think wins that if you had to put money on it i don't know i like kevin holland yeah I, I, I really, he's, he's more tried and true yeah 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 i think he'll handle the pressure better i pick holland on that one yeah uh and then uh this other fight i'm not sure if you're familiar with uh this fighter uh seems uh jilton uh almeida okay yeah i've, I've watched almeida so he's uh he's going against curtis blades it's a heavyweight fight okay and this guy almeida I first saw him fight. He fought uh, that guy, uh, Rosenstruck. Yeah. Beat that guy. <clears throat> and then he had a fight. His last fight was against Derek Lewis. Oh, and then shit. beat Derek yes. Lewis in like a five-round fight where he just like held him down and just like smashed him from top. Yeah. And to see someone do that to Derek Lewis. Yeah. Like nobody's really done that to Derek Lewis. So that was, that was kind of like a, to me, that was like a big statement. I'm a big Derek Lewis fan too. Me too. Awesome. Yeah. H-Town. Yeah first ufc i went to we watched Derek lewis yeah actually i, I got a chance to train with him once no shit. yeah he was supposed to fight for doom uh -huh. and he was uh looking for jiu-jitsu people to train with so uh his uh coach bob perez uh had, had him come out to uh our our gym uh, revolution dojo in houston and uh and get like some training with some of our guys and then i'm built similar height to uh to uh verdum and then uh, i'm a little bit lighter but like you know I, I could do a good job kind of simulating the dude so i was getting rounds with him basically just trying to like triangle him and armbar him and that work out of it crazy yeah he was cool though he was he was like nice he wasn't trying to like uh because he's much larger he wasn't yeah. trying to like hurt me or anything he's just trying to get better trying to get up yeah, he was, like he was he does a good job of that. he was super cool man like uh whenever you meet people who have like a certain level of like notoriety you're always like you know they're going to be cool or not and yeah. he was you know they say, they say don't meet your uh your role models your idols but he was he was pretty cool man nice 
Yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. And after that, I was like, well, now I want him to win every fight. Yeah. He's yeah. from H-Town. He's a cool dude. Yeah. He's super funny. I just want him to win every fight. So. Yep. Same yeah. with like uh, Tui Vasa. Oh, when yeah. Tui Vasa dude. beat him. That was I just want to see him do a shoey. Yeah. Just for that. <laughs> well, it was funny. After they after that Derek Lewis fight, he was on his press conference. And they're like, oh, you know, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to Mexico to party. <laughs> and like me and my brother were in Mexico oh, really? that weekend. Go to a club. I'm like, just we're sitting outside like on the tables and you can see this like giant club just raging so like i just walked through the club to see and fucking there's two evasa just fucking <laughs> raging i'm like ask this like guy i'm like is that two evasa he's like yeah dude come on in here so like open up the gate let Whoa. me in there i'm like fucking got my arm around two evasa i'm like well let's take a picture and it's actually like a video of like wow. just raging yeah That's like of cool, all dude. the people you know yeah, if you got that video, send it to me. I want to like put it in. Oh yeah, I definitely it have, it. I have it for sure. That's cool, dude. That's dope, um, dude. And then uh, yeah, the the other two fights that I saw in here is uh, on the on the undercard. Uh, Dos Anjos okay. is fighting someone, and then uh, Peter Yan. Oh yeah, Peter Yan's fighting. That's yeah. gonna be crazy with Sugar on the card. Like that. That was a big dude, fight for him. Peter Yan is on the undercard of Sugar Sean's card. <laughs> I know. He had a bad run though after that. Yeah. He had some things, but I'm a huge Peter Yan fan. Yeah, he's, he's a beast, dude. I love watching him. And he's always dangerous too. Like oh, he's dangerous. His, his first fight with uh, Algermain, like yeah. I mean, he's that's such... when everything fucking tipped to the wrong side for him. It's like he did that knee and then lost the belt and then he had to fight him again and it just went on and on i feel like he might have just gotten like in a bad mental space if he can get back to like the right mental place he was at before like he's he's has so many skills and he's such yeah. a physical beast he's dangerous yeah, he's uh, good. i'll watch him fight anybody hell yeah well uh yeah Corey, uh dude it's been fun man yeah this was awesome man i love chatting with you regardless whether we're in the tattoos <laughs> or just chatting in the studio rock climbing whatever yeah it's always a good time hell yeah so we'll have to do this again soon uh definitely after the the sugar sean fight we'll have to do like a post fight wrap up <laughs> we should do a ufc uh like post pro post pod dude 100 <laughs> percent. uh before we go where can people find you yeah uh, you can find me on instagram uh cory james tattoo our shop is lost edge tattoo um, all on Instagram, uh, YouTube, we got channels. Yeah, they're, they're Lost Edge Tattoo on uh, YouTube. And he's filmed a bunch of content. We were talking uh, earlier about uh, all the, the maneuvers and donuts and stuff. He was doing his Corvette and some of the shenanigans they're getting into. Yeah, so. doing some stuff outside. We went and shot guns. We did a whole bunch of wild shit. So he's going to have a lot of cool it. stuff coming. So make sure you check out that page. Uh, I think they're kind of they're, they're building some content, but it's it's about to start popping off. So yeah. make sure you go on YouTube and subscribe to that. Check out his Instagram, and then uh, his website is uh, also LostEdgeTattoo.com. So every it's actually really nice. All of your stuff is Lost Edge Tattoo. Yeah, you've got it on like all platforms. So totally, it's, it's super easy to find. So make sure you guys go on there uh, and check that out because it's going to be uh, exciting. We'll do um, more Rumble in the Jungle podcasts. Absolutely, dude. <laughs> Love it. Uh, besides that, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about? Uh, no, just find us on social media and stay up with uh, all the new tattoos and whatever else kind of crazy shit we're going to get into outside of that. But we'll be back again. And Awesome. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks, man. See Take ya. care. Yeah, dude.